It's the Stars of Pod. We got Q and A's. And uh, that's what we're doing today. So listen up, folks. Hopping right in with Patreon questions. We're going to start off with Matthew Paquette. May have been asked already, but are we going to see the translucent red armor from Vector Jump Death on another character this year? Um, The Vector Jump armor for Death is not actually translucent red. Um, I know that, you know, common logic would dictate that because the character has a translucent red base body, the Vector armor is then, therefore, made out of the same translucent red. It is not. Uh, There does not exist a translucent red in that sort of blood red color vector jump armor. And unfortunately, no plans to release that separately or uh, on another character. Gordon McKinnon Hall noticed something, a very small detail I was hoping somebody would find. How long has the design for the Hyper Knight jumpsuit been around? In rereading the trade paperback of the Knights of the Slice comic, which by the way is on sale in stores right now, guys, it looks like Bollinger Burton is wearing one in issue four. Was this just a free-floating concept at this point, or did you already have a plan for the Hyper Knight figure? Um, Excellent detective work, Gordon. I'm doing a slow golf clap in your direction. Uh, Yes, the Hyper Knight sculpt existed at this point. It was on my short list of figures to make. It would not get unlocked until uh, quite some time later, two years later almost, uh, in the Action Figure of the Month um, campaign. So you did some excellent detective work there. Bollinger Burton is, in fact, wearing a Hyper Knight uniform. You can think about the implications of that. Uh, I'm also very happy you highlighted Bollinger Burton because this is a character I'm finally going to get to tell the story of. And it's been a very long time coming, but uh, I'm excited. And many people may not know, Bollinger Burton is currently the teal of Knights of the Slice. Now, this was only sort of teased out in a single panel during the uh, the showdown at the Soda Factory in which Bollinger Burton is wearing Teal's uniform because after the mission on uh, what would become Turbo Atoll, he does subsume the identity of Teal as the original Teal sort of vacates his position and uh, goes off with the Rift Killers. So um, that is just sort of a, a tiny little background detail that hopefully this year will come to the forefront as Bollinger has some very crucial roles to play in the Knights of the Slice mythos. You heard it here first, folks. Gavin Raiders asks, uh, can we get a parts count or breakdown pick for the base figure of Sen 5 and Chromega? I'm curious about the separation points and how they will pair with each other and the rest of the Knights of the Slice. Also, if we don't get to Chromega this funding campaign, will he be up next for future microfunding? What toy lines, if any, inspired Sen 5's dolls, Splunker companion design and concept? Great questions, Gavin. Um, I haven't done a parts breakdown yet for Sen 5 or Chromega because these things tend to change. And uh, I don't want to sort of put something out there that uh, can become very different from what the final product is. So there's been a sort of strategic reason I have not disclosed those. However, there are there is an exploded view of Sen 5 somewhere on the Patreon. Um, if you dig back, I think you might be able to find it. I have shared that at, at some point. Uh, the biggest difference in the makeup of these characters versus the other Knights of the Slice figures is that there is a wrist um, split. So their hands essentially are interchangeable amongst each other, Chromega to Sen 5 and back and forth, and their full entire arm is, uh, you know, part of, uh, you know, that's where the, uh, the other separation is. So you can swap fists between... Chromega and Sen 5, as well as Suitman, although they are pretty oversized. Um, reason being, particularly on Sen 5, there's some really good detailing at the elbow, and so I didn't want to put the cut there. I didn't want to revise the scope further. I really liked it. Also, I know people get caught up 
with having every single piece be universal with every other single piece. Um, especially when it comes to Fallout, you know, Just Toys made the weird decision to invert how the peg system works, but the reality is you can just swap the entire leg or the entire arm. And uh, I know that cuts down a little bit on compatibility, but for me in my sort of play pattern, it's not really, a, you know, that big of a deal. Um, also, there are specific sizing issues with the width of Sen5 and Chromega that would not lend them well to an elbow uh, cut. They would appear oversized anyway if you were attempting to do a sort of forearm from Chromega on a classic night or, you know, things of that nature. So um, I think when you get these in hand, it'll it'll make a lot more sense. But outside of the arm arrangement, it's pretty much standard as you would imagine. There is a boot cut on both figures, um, and it's, you know, it's the standard makeup from there. If Chromega is not unlocked, which honestly, he may not get unlocked in this campaign, uh, it's tough to say. We have done really well in that there have been no $0 days, which is a first time for us. Every other campaign I've run, there have been $0 days, and those really are a kick in the nuts. Or even negative dollar days where pledges get canceled or refunds happen, which is absolutely, <laughs> you know, just crushes your morale when you're doing a campaign. So we're on a good trajectory. I'm very confident we're going to get Sen5 and his accessories. Chromega is a question mark. Um, on a quick side note, because this has been asked before, can people double their pledges? Yes, absolutely you can. Um, if you're doing something like the double figures the two-figure tier, and you put two of them in, I would like to do my best in to give you other styles of figures. You know, I, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a duplicate of the same two figures. I may figure out a way to give you guys, you know, an upcoming paint sample, uh, paint style or something like that. I, I don't want to commit to that before I know what the actual assortment I'm ordering is, but... Um, you know, I'm amenable to finding a solution to that for people that want to double up. Back to your question. If Chromega doesn't get funded, um, I don't think I will do a campaign for just Chromega. I think I would move on to other characters. I will tool Chromega at some point in the next couple years, but it will be at my discretion and the assortment of accessories will be at my discretion. The benefit of sort of fundraising means you guys get to dictate if this character gets made and if this specific assortment of accessories, if I have to do all of them. If I don't, maybe I strip down Chromega to the bare minimum and do him, you know, at my own leisure at some point in the future. So I, I don't think I would do fundraising for him by himself. I do, however, think when you guys see the accessories on Chromega and his different looks, there's going to be a huge rush of people backing this and doubling their pledges. I have saved some of the very best stuff for last. And uh, I will either share these when we hit 15k, or I'll wait till the last week of the campaign to reveal these. But um, needless to say, everything you've seen so far is not everything. And there are some dramatically different looks and accessories coming for that character. So stick with us. It's going to get exciting. Uh, there are actually not specific toy line inspirations for Sen5's dolls. By the way, Sen5 is a doll collector, you could say, right? Sen5 is a toy fanatic like us. He collects dolls. He likes them. And I thought that that was an interesting parallel to uh, add to the character there. Um, the specific inspiration are a ton of different little mini-bots I used to draw and that are in uh, a lot of my comics from the early years. I'll see if I can dig up an image of them, but I've always been obsessed with these little helper robot type figures. And I've drawn hundreds of iterations of them. The dolls or the mini Splunk is my sort of modern version of that. Um, the idea in all these different comics was that these are like helper robots. I was always obsessed with the idea of having a little robot friend that could like 
clean my room and do chores for me um, and like go on adventures with me. I, I loved that idea very much. I, I, I'm failing to sort of pull a specific media or cultural inspiration for that. It was just something I happened to really, you know, have stuck in my head. So the, uh, the specific inspiration is, is literally all these old drawings. There are parallels, I think, in, you know, uh, contemporary and, and toy lines from back when I was younger that, you know, sort of reinforced that. Um, obviously, like, Toy Biz X-Men and characters like Warstar, you know, that have a little minifigure that rides in their back. You know, it's all part of the same DNA for sure. Matt Reed says or asks, coloring the designs for Chromegan Sen 5 made me wonder, what is a realistic number of colors for a fully painted Knight of the Slice figure? Base color plus two? This is a fantastic, absolutely fantastic question, Matt. And this is really a foundation of how I approach toy design and largely is informed by my years spent at Jazzwares, where the minimum was the requirement, right? Like you did not exceed that very small price point that Jazzwares was going for because they were serving up value-based items, right? Jazzwares figures were never the most expensive and sometimes they were never the best executed, if we're being honest. And the purpose was to give the customer value. You were paying less than a standard action figure and you're getting a lot more and that was the transaction. Now, obviously, Jazzwares have completely evolved beyond that. Their Fortnite line is one of the best four-inch action figure lines of our modern era, no question there. But that was the premise back then. So as the production designer, that meant you only did the bare minimum. You could not deviate beyond that. These were every single cent counted when it came to delivering these characters in the product. So for me, I think it's base color, which is the color of the plastic the figure is shot in. And then plus two, possibly with a third accent color. So let's take a look at, at a figure and I'll break this down. So I'm looking at the Spice Fleet mechanical drawings for these figures. And essentially, uh, it's actually a little bit more than that, right? It's more than a plus two or plus three. It's actually, if you count the eye deco, it's plus seven. But let's let's stick with the basic figure. So, the base body is an off black, um, black seven C for those curious or who know their Pantone color swatches, black seven C. Then the plus two would be uh, Pantone six four one seven. This is the sort of blue, military bluish color. And then uh, gold on the eyes and the tampo print. So those are your, like your, your plus two, your, you know, your other main colors in the color theory. Then there's an accent color that is probably missed by most people. But the knee pads, the belt, the leg strap, those are actually cool gray 10C. And that may be missed by some people because it's so very close to black 7C, but there is a color differentiation there just to, to give it a tiny sort of subtle, you know, pop. So um, Spice Fleet, I think, is a bit more than my normal um, amount of paint apps, but it, it is the right formula, more or less. And, and part of why I'm so minimal on paint apps is I feel like if you can't communicate the character with a minimum of paint apps, it's not a very strong character idea. You know, if you need to pile on tons of color and tons of tampo, it gets very complicated to the eye and very convoluted. But if you have a design that just truly sings, you know, you can do it with very few paint apps. I'm looking also the Hyper Micros, right? Very minimal paint apps. The plastic it's shot in is doing a lot of the work there. And then you have the accents of the silver metallic and the white gloves and boots. And, and that, those figures sing, man. Those are great. So I'm of the, uh, you know, the philosophy that you really, you got to keep it very simple and very minimal 
And um, I think that's, uh, you know, that's where my head's at on that. Matthew Paquette asks, Did Crossgoals or Saxon get any retooling? It feels like their left hand might be a little narrower to fit smaller Knights of the Slice weapons. If not, has the Radic mold been retooled? Will we see a new Radic soon? Are you still planning on retooling his hips and legs so that his stance is modified to be more upright? Um, so, a couple things going on in this question. Let's let's break it down. Uh, the Radics that you guys have encountered so far are kind of version two. The hips have been tightened and the pegs have been adjusted. I wouldn't consider this a retool. To me, a retool means you're um, pulling out or putting in cavities in the steel. That's not the case here. This is just sort of a realignment of the pins and the sort of mechanisms that shoot the plastic through. Um, this is a normal sort of uh, upkeep that happens. And um, if you compare like the early minimal paint Radix, you know, the Pink Fury or the uh, black version or the glow in the dark version, the hips should feel a little differently than your fully painted wave of Radic. Those are, you know, sort of minor things that have happened. I'm happy with where Radic's hips are at this day and time. They'll continue to tighten it up as pieces get loose and molds as, you know, you do more and more production. But um, largely his stance is what it will be. There is a revision to his left hand to make it a little narrower to hold other older Knight of the Slice accessories, but that hasn't happened yet. Or rather, it has happened. You guys have not received any of the product from that sort of version three of Radic. So that is a, a thing that is coming at some point in the future. I don't know if you're gonna see it this year. Maybe not, not, not quite sure. It depends on when goods land. But that is something that will be changed. His glove hand will have a little bit more sort of meat built into it and he will be able to grip tighter older things in his left hand while his right hand will be more orientated towards the larger accessories from characters like Hackerman, for example. Finally, there are some changes to Radic. Uh, I don't believe I've discussed this yet, but the tank head accessory is going away at some point in the future. Now, there are a couple Radic styles still to disperse amongst you guys. So um, there will be like, I think one or two additional tank heads and then that's it. Kaput on that accessory does not exist anymore. So if you got a tank head, you have something incredibly limited edition and you should hoard it like gold because that is going away and it's gonna be replaced with something I'm not gonna reveal today. But thank you for the question. Have you heard yet? I don't think you have. There's a sale going on toypizza.com. This is gonna happen on 921. Now, if you're a patron, by now you have had access, early ordering privileges for the sale. It's a single figure and a single accessory. I'm gonna keep it small. I know people's wallets are tight. Plus, you guys have been so great with the campaign, I don't want to overload you. But there was a very important story I have to kick off, and I need to release this character in order to do that. So, he is uh, being served up. This is uh, its gonna be interesting. I'm curious to see what people think of this. It might end up being our best seller. I have also taken a very heavy position on inventory, so if you're strapped for cash, it should exist in the store for quite some time. Now, I've said that and I, before, and I've gotten bit in the ass, but hopefully, this isn't a sort of immediate buy for you guys. Um, if it looks like it's getting tight on ordering, I'll stick it to uh, limit one. But uh, 9.21 at our normal time of 12 p.m. Eastern time, our next little tiny drop will happen. And uh, you can look forward to getting that in the mail along with Action Figure of the Month October and, of course, Patreon gifts, which right now at the $25 tier is the Silver Hypernite which uh, I think is a spicy meatball, I'll be honest with you. So with that uh, bit of housekeeping out of the way, we will see you on the 21st, and I will hop into some Facebook questions. 
my man Mason Rossell says, is there a possibility of getting a key bugman that's not just the Saima version? I'd love a pink bug to go with my collection. Um, so if I'm parsing this out correctly, you would like styles of bugmen that do not reflect the style of Saimas, if, if, is that correct? Uh, if so, I, I think so. I want to do more bugmen. I don't have a ton of them in the hopper. Um, actually, what I was thinking, and I'd like to hear from you guys, I was thinking about doing just random bugmen. Because I have a, a handful of other Bugman heads. Uh, these are just from previous releases. I don't have enough to justify a, you know, a hollow bag release or something like that. But maybe I got like 20 or 30. And I was thinking what I could do is random color jumpsuit, random color Bugman head, random color standard night body. Just put it together as a bundle. There wouldn't be a ton of them, but if this is something you guys are interested in, let me know. And I'll consider adding that to the store at some point in the future. I think that'd be fun. Um, so, yeah, not a... There's there's probably only going to be one more Bugman in the immediate future. Um, we are almost at the end of all the Saimas I have. December is, of course, going to be this big crescendo of the Saimas story. And... I'm very excited about it. I have some wonderful collaborators working on the art for it. It's going to be stunning. And um, we're going to have just a all-around appreciation in December for Saima. Remember, this was really Saima's year. You know, you guys, through uh, Action Figure of the Month campaign, brought her to life. She launched in 2020. And, um, no, I guess she actually launched a little earlier than that. But anyway, it's still her year. And we're going to close it out with a big celebration and salute to you, Cyber Mama. Gabe Tovar says, Do your dreams ever have any influence into the things you create? Before I answer that, I do want to mention that Gabe is the newest official Night of the Slice artist. He is going to have some artwork tied to our release on 921. So welcome to the hallowed ranks of those who took the leap from being a fan artist into being an official artist. And it's well-deserved. We're happy to have you here, Gabe. Um, I would say that my dreams influence the things I create more than anything else, more than any other source. Um, I've always had very, very vivid dreams. I have had quite a few occasions where I have sort of been able to control the, the events of dreams. Um, and I, you know, I'm a big believer in the subconscious and that it needs to be listened to and it will guide you um, for things like creation, but also just, you know, the general direction of your life. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is probably the most single profound source of inspiration in my creativity. And uh, for those who are interested, I know I have plugged this a few times. Um, David Lynch wrote an excellent book. I believe it's called Catching the Big Fish. He also does an audiobook version where he narrates it. It is about this very topic, and I would encourage anyone with any sort of creative bone in their body to listen or read this book. It is, uh, I find it to be very helpful. Gene Starwin says, is Detective Smith and the Cowboy Astro part of the same universe? I'm going to have to refer you to my good friend Kit Lau. He can uh, lay that out for you. It does appear that these characters are in the Annex, which is a, a wonderful cyberpunk city with many inhabitants. So that would be my guess, but it is Kit's creation. I don't want to speak out of turn, so uh, maybe ping him. He might answer you. Moving along, Quentin Russo, can you fly, Bobby? Um, I can't fly, but I will say it's a shame what they did to Leland Meeks. Uh, sorry, Leland Palmer. One of the Lelands. Moving along, Chris Warner. Have I ever thought of doing a junk shop Night of the Slice sale like Dowdy did years ago? I'm also going to read the next question after this because it relates to it. Mason comes back and says, Any chance of putting some mystery part lots for sale? I would love a good grab bag. I was hoping to get actual mystery heads in the head pack, but all I got were the ones in the photo. That post also has the distinction of being the first time somebody's complained about getting what is in the photo of a item, but I understand the sentiment. Uh, so, junk shop, mystery part bags, great questions. 
I'm going to lay uh, some knowledge on you guys, which might be surprising. The customization bits that I offer sell pretty poorly. We did an experiment with Hobbs Foundry. All these individual parts that people could order sold abysmally. It's still up there. Every now and then I get a little nibble. Generally, a pretty pretty terrible uh, home, uh, you know, a funnel of sales compared to the amount it took to like do the artwork and organize everything and separate it. Um, pretty terrible enterprise. Um, head pack, Vaughn uh, accessory pack, beard and head. Um, clothing items individually. All of these sell terribly. And I know this seems counterintuitive, right? Because Glios and Knights of the Slice are so into customizing. That's what you see when you're online and on Instagram and you search the hashtags. You see all these wonderful builds and customs. Um, these bits and parts sell terribly for me. They really, really do. I put them up as a labor of love, but this is not what the majority of my customers buy or gravitate towards. And part of that is, I think really like the builders are Glios purists, right? So they, they really buy those at the other Glios maker stores because that's what it's known for. And that's what their figures are intended for, right? They're intended for customization and play. Mine are not. And I, you know, I've been pretty honest about that. This is a narrative based sort of project. Um, even when I've had something like a, you know, a swing joint or even the, the uh, separate armor sets, these things move at a snail's pace. And I know that may not be your specific preference, but that is what five years of sales data have told me. That the a la carte option, nobody shows up for it. A, a small handful of dedicated builders show up for it, and then that's it. So I don't think a junk shop is gonna happen but I do think what Mason is requesting, sort of mystery parts, um, definitely have a, have a spot and will have a future. Uh, we did the green bags around St. Patrick's Day, I believe in February or March. Those, there was not a lot of them, but those sold pretty well. People seem genuinely excited about them. So I think that there, there is something coming, maybe it's random hollow bags or Franken slices or something like that. I, I do have a bit of old inventory broken up that I would like to get rid of, but to create individual SKUs for each individual piece, um, it's a ton of work and the, the sales don't support doing that. So I think mystery bags are a likely possibility. I don't think an individual shop presentation is going to happen. Tim Wilkins says any recommendation for a steed that our good captain peasy can ride no answer is wrong uh, tim i'm gonna break your heart because we actually i had one designed at one point and we did not move forward with it um i don't know if i'll ever get to that so i would like to make other recommendations for what you could do um i use the hasbro indiana jones deluxe figure horse for any of my cowboy needs and it is fantastic i think it is one of the best animals ever made it came in a two-pack i think it was i don't know if his last crusader or what the branding was but came with an indie figure and it came with this horse with a beautiful saddle and blanket and everything else um that would be my recommendation that is my go-to steed i love that horse very much uh, Marauders Inc. have also made a line of horses and steeds. Uh, I have, ha I've, I have a few. I have them in hand. They don't hold up to this Hasbro figure that was made so long ago, and, and it's probably, I would guess, relatively cheap to come across. So I would urge you towards that. I think that's pretty good. Also, World Peacekeepers, the sort of dollar store line of military soldiers. They've made quite a few horses and camels and things like that, and these are not high-quality figures, but they are pretty decent for the price and get the job done. So I hope that gives you uh, some some things to think about. Okay, just went to eBay to, to check into this. Uh, Indiana Jones Horse 2-Pack from Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
Um, actually, this is kind of expensive. <laughs> In the package, these are going for about 70 bucks. Out of the package, um, looks about 30 to 40 to 50 bucks. So that may not be the most feasible uh, price point for you guys. Oh, here's one for 25 bucks. That's not too bad. Um, I, I would say that that one is still the best. That's what I would consider, and that's what I use with my cowboy figures. So um, you guys let me know if you have strong opinions otherwise. Philip Barrara, would I be willing to share my recipes on Patreon? Always looking for healthy and delicious. Um, I think I did share my uh, stir-fried rice recipe, which I was chastised by Josh Guerra for being far too complicated. So uh, with that internet bullying, I shied away from doing it in the future. Um, I, I guess I, I could, but the reality is, you know, most of my stuff is just, just pretty simple, one ingredient dishes. No, no processed food. So it, it would just be like, take a chicken breast, grill it, put some bacon on top, have a slice of tomato. Not, you know, there's no real magic or alchemy that's happening there. I guess I could do my tortilla espanola recipe, which, um, you know, is, is a real killer. But because it has potatoes and that's a lot of starch, I haven't made that or consumed it in a while. But if uh, you're interested... Maybe that's what I'll do. That's a that's a sort of, you know, pretty simple but pretty tasty uh, recipe I could I could uh, put out there for you. Patrick Colonna, I enjoy all the new sculpts and figures. Will the original knight and vector styles be coming back? Original knight, yes. Got quite a few things uh, planned for that. Vector knight, I don't have any plans for the rest of this year, but maybe there'll be something in 2021. Adam Kenyon, if I could create a character in any other sci-fi universe as a guest creator, which universe would it be and what type of character? Boy, it has to be sci-fi, right? Um, oh man, that's a tough one. I guess I would say Dune. And what type of character would it be? It would be... Um, I mean, I, I would have to go back. I did write a Dune RPG at one point, and I had some characters in there. Um... I'm going to go with the Virgil Texas idea for a Mentat that uh, scans the internet for people because the internet is outlawed, it causes brain poisoning, so the Mentats have to be designated to research any topic for a normal human with a normal brain. So I, I think I'm going to stick with that. Ultras Baltard, aside from the design and I, what has been your favorite fan render of Chromega slash Sen5 so far? Oh boy, there are some really fantastic ones. Uh, this is my favorite part of doing a campaign, and this is what part of the reason I do fundraising is just this sort of fan engagement and the designs and the posting and the live streams. That is the real fun and the real appeal of it. The money I can get, you know, I could just wait a few months and do a couple sales and have the money to fund these figures in secret. Um, but to me, they take on a life of their own when it gets shared with you guys. And when we come together in a collective project to sort of push along this idea. And I get to see your iterations of it. Off the top of my head, I think all the ones that Ian Amling did are fantastic. His Master Blaster, um, Trapjaw, great. Can't be Ian. Um, I really like the the um, He-Man trio that was put up by Wonder Waffle. And he also did um, Doom Marine, Air Raider, blaster from transformers i i actually like i don't fucking care about he-man i've said many times i am very very tempted to do one of these he-man figures but uh i don't really want i don't want to do homages for my production slots because we have the designer figure folks bringing their own designs to life so you know i don't know how far down the path i'm gonna go um if one of the design and night contestants pick one of those sort of styles or that's something they want to see or work with i'm going to make it happen i, I think in any case uh sen5 is going to have some some very very good homages and some really interesting unique colorways and i am uh i'm tickled pink we get to do this figure joe selva asked any chance of more glitter figures like the meat ambassador in the future and even brighter colors also anyway uh to get more tunic and hood sets available. So to answer the last question first, 
I, I don't have any new tunic and hoods, but I do have a handful of old samples, and I'm combining those for a Frankenstein-style character that will be very limited and in the store at some point in the near future. Um, and then after that, they're, they're totally gone and they're done. The tunics and hoods, um, there's not a lot of material available that is that same uh, density. And because that is essentially a denim, uh, you can't do a bunch of colors with it. So it's it's a very limited application sort of item. It's not one I, I don't imagine I'm going to go back to production on that. So there will be this one last chance to uh, get a handful of tunic and hoods, and then I think we'll probably close the book on that. Regarding bright colors and glitter figures, I do think there will be additional glitter figures at some point in the future. Um, I know that, you know, one of the Design and Night contestants has their eyes on a glitter figure, and I think if we can reasonably deliver that, we will. Um, the problem is, it is very, very difficult to get bright saturation with translucent figures. And this may seem counterintuitive, right? Because they seem very vibrant when you put them up to the light, but the amount of pigment you can use is way less than the amount of pigment you can use in an opaque plastic. So translucence will always be a little bit dull unless, you know, light is shining directly through them. Um, the exception to that seems to be ABS plastic, which is the harder, breakable um, plastic that's used for more machine parts, wherein most of my figures are composed of PVC plastic. Uh, ABS is used in the armor of the Classic Knight, for those who need a frame of reference. You can get a, a, a better saturation and a better sort of uh, more neon hue in ABS than you can in PVC. I don't quite understand why that is. Something to do with the chemical makeup of it or the structural integrity of the molecules. Who the fuck knows? But um, that's sort of, you know, where we are with that. Um, I do think, like, I love the pink sparkle. Like, that, that, that's something that, you know, I'd like to see make a comeback at some point. I'm now going to hop back and forth from Patreon to Facebook and vice versa and just kind of uh, play clean up on these last couple questions. So here we go, another one from Matthew Paquette. Would I ever consider including the Action Figure of the Month sticker in the box with the figure instead, or just taped on the front of the box instead of peeled and stuck to the box? The stickers are awesome, and it would be great to display them somewhere, like on my Glyos carrying case or my office corkboard. I have not come up with a good way to display my Action Figure of the Month boxes where the stickers can be displayed. They take up too much space. Also, I haven't figured out a way to safely remove them from the boxes. This is a fair question, absolutely, and there are some good criticisms here. Um, first, uh, the coating on the box does allow for most variety of stickers to be removed from it safely without ripping. Now, obviously, because I do such a varied amount of stickers with different materials, different coating, that's not a blanket statement. It does not apply to all stickers. Um, so that's just first regarding the coating and the construction of the mailer box. The biggest issue is that as the year goes on, uh, I start to lose margin in Action Figure of the Month. This is because the box and the sticker cost a certain amount of money. Let's say they each cost, uh, let's say the box costs $2 and the sticker costs $1. So that's my built-in cost every month in order to send you guys a box and in order to send you a sticker. And the problem is the cost of figures goes up as the year progresses. Um, you know, the decos get more complex. Uh, the air freight becomes an increased cost, which is very much a, a factor nowadays. And so I start to uh, as the year progresses, I start to cycle in newer and newer figures fresh off the production line that cost more money than the figures that, uh, you know, were priced out in the first quarter or the first half of the year. 
So as I get towards the end of the year, I start to sort of lose profitability on the action figure of the month club. And in some cases, it becomes a loss leader for me. Now, I never shirk my responsibilities for fulfilling these club figures to you guys. And I usually just eat the hit to my margin because I believe the action figure of the month club is an important marketing exercise as well as great sort of brand visibility and just generally fun for all people. But as we wind on the year, I start making more money on store sales and start losing money on action figure of the month club uh, mailings. The other factor is if the box costs $2 and a sticker costs a dollar, throwing in another sticker is then another dollar in costs. Um, Taping it to the box is not a good idea. And I actually tried to do this with the subsidy patches. Now granted, a patch weighs a little bit more than a sticker, but I got some double-sided tape. I tried it out in a couple boxes, punted them around a little bit as simulating the sort of treatment they'll get while traveling through the postal system. And, and of course, these fell off. They got dislodged, they peeled, etc., etc. So um, affixing it is not a good idea because just in the, the simple shipping process, they will get pretty banged up. But what I will say is there's, there's two sort of uh, bright points to this that, that will probably make you happy. One is for October, there's a special sticker. And I love it so much that I actually ran duplicates. So everybody's getting a sticker inside the box as well as outside the box. So that's a little piece of good news. The second piece of good news is in December, I will chop up all the extra stickers, put them in very affordable sticker packs as we did last year, and you guys can order them and hopefully have all the stickers you want to your heart's content. I only do that once a year because it's a lot of work. These stickers are typically on rolls, so that means I have to go through and individually slice each and every one and then separate and bundle them. It's a lot of work. It's not worth the money I charge, but I think it's an important sort of you know, thank you to the fans. So you can look forward to that as well. The final point I'll say is, um, I put the stickers on the box because I want that to be the image that's shared when these things arrive. And I don't want there to not be that individual sticker that identifies what the figure is inside. And I also want you guys, when you receive it before you open the box, to get your first clue about what's in there. I want it to be a teaser, a trailer, if you will. So all that is just a long way of saying I've thought about all the different ways to do this. Um, I don't have a perfect solution. You will be getting an extra sticker in October. And then, of course, you'll have the opportunity to buy a full sticker pack in December. So hopefully you understand the unique challenges I have with the Action Figure of the Month Club. And... Um, I hope you find that satisfactory. Chris Warner says, if Rex and Vaughn could be a Star Wars character, who would they be? Um, I think Vaughn would be Han Solo running down the hallway of the Death Star charging at stormtroopers, but only Han Solo in that very scene. <laughs> that is exactly the attitude of Vaughn, no question. Rex, I think, is more like Obi-Wan Kenobi in A New Hope. Um, but maybe Obi-Wan Kenobi if he secretly sort of doubted himself. Matthew Connolly, who, by the way, has turned in quite a few scalps. He's, he has uh, fulfilled the bounty quest uh, side mission, and he has brought me some brand new enrollees. And actually, we're doing really good with bounties right now. Have you guys tried this? Have you turned a friend on to our fundraising campaign and then gotten a promise of reward afterwards? You should. It's really working well, and I gotta make a big deal of this from now on whenever we do a campaign. Excellent strategy. So thank you to Matt Connolly. Bunch of questions here. Did I get some quality pool relaxation in this season? Uh, what does a perfect day off look like to me? Uh, if I was able to freely roam about the country. What is my favorite Interpol song? Do I have a favorite brand of notebook? Uh, why are so many creative people from Connecticut so involved in the toy industry? Um, so, great questions. Let's start at the beginning. Did I get some quality pool relaxation time in the season? Uh, I did 
in the spring, which is weird because the pool is sort of too cold to go in. But I find that I enjoy being poolside more in the cooler weather. I, I'm really digging it right now. Um, August, end of July and August, too hot to kind of be outside for too long. And frankly, I was over it. So uh, I feel like I got a fair amount. Um, I feel like, you know, summer is really about friends and friends coming to visit, friends jumping in the pool, barbecuing for friends. And because none of us really get to experience that, it doesn't feel like it's been a real summer. I've made peace with the fact that the season is coming to a close. Um, but, you know, this this whole year kind of feels like a dress rehearsal for something. Um, so I would rate it, uh, you know, I'm content. Probably could have done a little more of it. I wouldn't say I am very good at relaxing poolside, but I would say that I have been poolside uh, quite a bit. So when it does get covered up, it will be sad, but I will take steed in the knowledge that uh, I try to live life to the fullest. Perfect day off to me is a lot like today, as I'm recording this, actually. Uh, got up, healthy breakfast, um, dove into recording of the Stazapod, obviously, and then handled a bunch of mechanical designs for the factory. A, a, a big chunk of work got crossed off the list. Got to sort of update my finances, which is a thing I don't like doing, but I do every week just to make sure the wheels aren't going to fly off at any point in the future. Um, I do think a good day probably involves taking a shower and getting out of your pajamas, which I've only done one of those. So probably room for improvement there. Uh, went for a long walk outside in nature. That is always the hallmark of a great day. Um, and then I just kind of like got into a meditative state outside, sitting in a hammock, the sun sort of, you know, irradiating me, <laughs> uh, and just sort of just gelled. You know, if, if you've ever reached that meditative state, if you've ever had any practice in TM or, you know, ever done a class, I highly recommend this, by the way, but uh, just got sort of blissed out, you know, not even with chemical help, just kind of sitting and thinking and, you know, being. I guess that's that's the word, right? Um, and now I'm inside. I'm going to finish up this Destazapod. Had a great talk with Dowdy. You know, I think while we can't sort of be face-to-face with our friends, we can call people on the phone. You know, we can avoid texting or DMing and, you know, talk to people, have a human connection. Um... And then tonight, I'm probably going to play Call of Duty with Josh and uh, maybe sing some karaoke. So that, to me, my friends, is a great day. Only thing that would make it better is if I get some mail. There's a few hours left. Could be some mail waiting down at the mailbox. Who knows? But uh, I think that's the only thing that would kick it off. And then maybe laying in bed with the one you love and watching an episode of Billions on Showtime. He asks what my favorite Interpol song is, but he knows what my favorite Interpol song is. It's Evil by Interpol, also known as Rosemary. Obviously, that was a silly question. You're baiting me. Uh, I do not have a favorite brand of uh, sketchbook or notebook. In fact, I have started leaving separate sketchbooks in every single room in this house. And I no longer keep a single sketchbook I sort of circulate room to room and just jot down what I need to in there. And we're talking about a lot of different varieties of texture, paper density, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There is no rhyme or reason any longer to um, how I'm collecting my thoughts. I make it more sort of locale-based, if that makes any sense. Moleskins are always a great go-to. I think typically, if I'm doing art and not sort of quick sketching or writing, I prefer a little heavier stock and something that won't bleed because I do like to use a lot of markers and watercolors. Why are so many creative people from Connecticut? Um, you know, I think in some respects, because Connecticut is such a relatively wealthy state and these schools are pretty good comparatively, 
Uh, I just think that, you know, there's, there's probably a better quality of life than many other states in the union. And I think that people might have more sort of time and space to be able to pursue creative things, if that makes any sense. Uh, I think that it is, you know, there may be a socio-economical factor that connects to population density of creative individuals. This is, I'm just totally pulling this out of my ass and making it up on the spot. But I wonder if uh, I'm not onto something there. Moving along, Brian Doran. Will Crevo have any GLaDOS compatible parts? Also, will 52 Toys join the Annex project? Their box forms are reminiscent of old vinyl GLaDOS blocks, and I'm thinking transforming versions of Travelers would be amazing. So, Brian is, of course, referring to the toy allowance announcement that there is now a GLaDOS green cowboy being bundled with another larger figure. These look fantastic, right? These are great. And this all falls under Kit's subheading of Annex. Um, I have nothing to do with this. GLaDOS has nothing to do with this. I do not believe there is any GLaDOS compatibility in the Crevo figure. Um, I do not believe 52 Toys is doing anything relating to GLaDOS or, you know. Uh, you have to sort of look at the, the path of Annex as a one-way street. So I'm, I'm here with GLaDOS. It's a one-way street to Kit Lau, and then it's Kit Lau to Toy Alliance and 52 Toys and everybody else. I don't interact with those people. I would love to, nothing against them, love to work with them. But that is, this is, you know, Kit is the maestro of the orchestra here. I'm just one of the instruments. So um, I don't, I wouldn't hold out any hopes for bigger GLIOS compatibility with the other collaborations within Annex. Um, and I think probably these are better questions for Kit, honestly. Chris Black has a fantastic question. And this actually curtails nicely with a email I got recently from a would-be um, Glios creator. Uh, you know, somebody who's sort of toiling away on their project and looking forward to hopefully crossing the barrier into manufactured product at some point in the future. And uh, this is a perfect time to sort of address this because I get asked this question a lot. I'm sure I've touched on it before, but this will give us a nice little refresher in this idea. So Chris says, in light of the ongoing campaign to fund the new figures, I would be interested to hear about your ideas on how to best approach advertising for these independent fundraisers. Awareness seems to be the most difficult problem to tackle for these sorts of projects. Any thoughts you can share on the subject? Absolutely. Chris, thank you for the wonderful question. So, how does one market a toy project? How does one market a fundraising campaign that's going on privately? How does one sort of make people care about what you're selling? That's that's the real root of the question, right? How do you make people care about what you're selling or what you're creating? And I don't actually know the answer to that. I'll be the first to admit that. But what I what I think is sort of part of the solution and is actually something that I tell a lot of people that come to me with the desire to create something or get something out in the market and it is often a, a sort of theory that pisses people off. <laughs> they don't like this answer. I think that the answer is, or at least one ingredient of success in the creative fields is daily output. And that is sort of day, you know, that is constant content that is not selling something. And I hate using the word content and all these fucking marketing buzzwords because I think they, they are sort of antithetical to being a creator in the truest sense. But for purposes of communicating this and getting it to crystallize in people's heads, I'm going to lean on that, that, you know, terrible marketing language. I believe that people buy Knights of the Slice figures, not because they're Glios figures, not because they're three and three quarter inch figure collectors who will buy anything in that scale. I think that largely people buy my figures because they enjoy the story. And not just the story of the individual characters, 
but the story of Knights of the Slice, the stories that are told on Destazapod, the story of me interacting with the fans and you interacting with me, and the bigger story of the community. And that story is communicated almost on a daily basis through largely this Patreon, but also through the Facebook fan group and through Instagram and other social media channels. So the success, in my mind, is predicated on a daily stream of things to consume. Whether it's a character design, it's a sketch in my sketchbook, it's an old picture of a prototype of a figure that never happened, it's a short story, it's a comic book, it's a distazapod. Whatever the form of that media may be, I think that a, a dedicated daily drip is how you sort of make ripples in the pond. You know what I mean? And I would say the crucial question to ask yourself if you have a creative project or you want to get something out there is, do you love this idea enough to every single day make something shareable about it? Do you love this character in your brain enough that you're going to draw a picture of him every single day and put it up on your Instagram? And if the answer is no, then you don't have the right project. You haven't yet found that thing that makes you sing and that really compels you to share it. And so I don't know what the right answer is, but um, I do know that that is a specific piece of this, that sort of daily, hitting that button daily. Um, Also, Google Ads. I'm not running any currently, Uh, Facebook and Instagram ads as well. Those can be very cheap, very easy ways to get more eyeballs on your projects. Um, I have in previous campaigns done about a week of Google ads, usually around, uh, you know, the week before the last sort of 48 hours. Um, I may do it this year. I may not. You know, just depends on our sort of trajectory and velocity and how much I want to, like, juice this thing. I like it being a nice, small, successful campaign. There is a sort of bell curve if this thing gets too big. Um, you know, it's more work. So we'll see. But, yeah, I think, uh, you know, definitely the daily drip is important. And then uh, experiment with Facebook, Instagram, and, and Google Ads. And now it's time to step into the Tomi Moto. Rapid fire style. Let's go. Do I remember the 80s McDonald's food transformers? What was my favorite and why? Of course I do. I liked the ice cream cone. I did like the robots better than I liked the dinosaurs. I didn't feel like the dinosaurs were very cool in comparison. Do I remember the Muppet Babies McDonald's figures that came with vehicles? His favorite was Gonzo on the tricycle. What was my favorite and why? Of course I remember it. Love it. Great line. Fozzie Bear. Do I remember the wave of roughly three-inch bendy Looney Tunes figures from McDonald's? I really love them. Taz was my favorite. Do I remember having any? If so, what was my favorite? I don't remember bendable figures, but I do remember the superhero Looney Tunes figures. Uh, We did a Toy Pizza episode on that. You should check it out. I don't know what it's called. Maybe Best Happy Meal Toys or Kids Meals Toys. Uh, And I have the display from McDonald's of that figure as well as the Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which was uh, pretty fantastic. Favorite Bruce Lee movie? His is Game of Death. Um, I don't know the names of them, but whatever one that John Saxon is in. I think that's a great one. Lance, uh, you're deducted 20 points. You're asking me a question you've asked twice prior. John Wick, Neo, or Ted Theodore Logan? I'm not even going to dignify that with a response, quite frankly. Uh, I recently sold you a early Sochuka, if I'm saying that right, Henshin Kamen Rider figure with metal armor. Uh, This was back when the line had metal armor and human faces under the helmets. 
Do I prefer this original design and its walkie proportions and diecast parts? Do I recommend the progress that they have made in most of the recent releases? Sorry, that's commend, not recommend. Um, uh, so Lance is referring to these tiny pinheaded figures on otherwise really great common Rider action figures uh, from probably late 90s, early 2000s. I remember seeing these at Toys R Us in Hong Kong quite a bit when I was first going over there. And it's a bummer because the figures are really good, and the feature is sort of snap-on die-cast armor with a nice weight to it, but it has these tiny micro pinheads, which make no sense to me because we've had successful helmets in many other toy lines. Moving along, do I have any of the Real Action Hero Metacom 12-inch figures from the 90s? If so, do I like this type of figure with cloth clothes and large proportions, or do they feel too much like dolls? Um, they do feel a little bit like dolls, but I don't think that's negative. And I, I do really admire the approach of Real Action Hero. Um, they are, in many ways, the precursor to Hot Toys. Uh, I very much love the Punisher figure that they did, even with its dramatic proportions. The downside being that the plastics on these really give out pretty quickly. A lot of the clothing sort of cracks and feels greasy. But in a pre-Hot Toys world, that is a pretty crucial line. And we do owe, you know, quite a deal to it. Um, moving along with, in that sort of 12-inch vein, Lance asked, do I think the 12-inch figures are too large and unwielding and therefore too difficult to play with? Um, I used to be more into... 12-inch figures, uh, not necessarily for play, but for, like, diorama photos and things like that. It's not the scale for me. Also, all the shelves in my house, which are built into the wall, are 11 inches tall. So I really don't have much of an option for displaying 12-inch uh, figures, and it's sort of been phased out of my interest in a lot of respects. Around 2006 or so, DC Direct released 13-inch of a line of... Uh, classic heroes. Do I recall this line? Do I think they made a mistake to release them at 12-inch scale? Um, so actually, uh, I don't think it was a mistake. I understand their thinking. You know, superheroes are supposed to be bigger than normal human beings, with a normal one-sixth character equating to about 12 inches. It made sense. Um, I don't think they're so grotesquely out of proportion that they don't work on display next to 12-inch figures. And I understand wanting to have a perception of, you know, a bigger value, perhaps. So I think that's fine. I owned a bunch of them. I had uh, quite a few friends at DC Direct during this run. Uh, they would hook me up in a very luxurious fashion. So I did get my hands on a few. Um, I think for the time they were great. And, you know, they, they were sort of like, you know, a bit of a value buy in comparison to the Hot Toys figures, which was still ramping up at that time, you know, very, very early stages of Hot Toys. Um, so, you know, kind of an interesting side note of the past, I think. Final Lance question, did Nokia, Skype, and formerly dominant products become the victim of their own hubris and thus lose their competitive edge? We used to all use Nokia phones and say Skype is a cinema for any type of video chat. Um, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, technology just sort of progresses uh, in such a rapid acceleration that there is no real way to keep, you know, a corner of the market indefinitely. Now, some companies can have quite a run, if you look at, like, Apple, although Apple's dominance is really in the U.S. If you get outside of the U.S., Apple does not have the same market share that it has everywhere else, especially in the Pacific Rim, for sure. So, um, I, you know, when it comes to big companies and their competitive edge, I just see all of it as, you know, a snake chasing its own tail, especially the bigger these corporations get. Um, it, it is just kind of machinery threshing everything. I, I have a point to make, but I think I want to save it for a different podcast because it's kind of lengthy, but I, I'm, I used to think that singularity was inevitable and that we would very soon become completely integrated with machines. I'm now starting to think actually the opposite is not only possible, but necessary. And that is the Butlerian Jihad, 
and I've talked about that before. You can look that up and see what that means. Um, and I'm going to sort of lay that out at great length. So I think there's some sort of implications in your question that I'll touch on at that later date. It's going to be it's going to be fucking galaxy brain stuff. So get ready. Uh, that thus concludes Lance's questions. And uh, we're going to move on to two final questions on Patreon from Sean Gordon and Lori Herbs. Sean, any chance an instant squad like Spice Fleet coming to the store soon? I really like subsets and toy lines. And an instant team like that was a fun purchase. Maybe a Bugman Army building set? Um, I don't think I would do another instant squad until Spice Fleet sells out. I don't have very many Spice Fleet left. You guys did buy quite a few of them. But that was really a lower run uh, team, if I'm being honest. I did not have high expectations for sales. You guys met my expectations. There still is probably, I don't know, less than a dozen left. So if you are thinking about Spice Fleet, might not be a bad time to grab one before they're completely gone. Uh, I, I don't see a subset happening until maybe next year at the earliest. Bugmen is interesting to me. Um, I don't know that I would do an entire army because it requires so much swapping of parts from different molds to sort of make those happen. But um, I like your I like where your head's at. Good thinking, Sean. Final question uh, from Lori Herbst. What do I think about the recent surge in Ultraman stuff, the Marvel comic, Mego figure, the re- the releases by Mill Creek? Do I think this would be a net positive, or will it burn out the franchise? Um, I'm not a huge Ultraman fan. I understand a lot of people are. I know Matt Dowdy is obsessed with Ultraman. I've I tried watching the new animated series on Netflix. It didn't really click for me. Uh, I don't know if it gets better after the first episode or not. Um, for me, like, hey, any Japanese property, any tokusatsu, or any, you know, manga that is decent and gets play over here, I think is great. And if that means we get toys, that's awesome. And look, I'm not a huge fan of Ultraman, but I bought a hell of a lot of those Shoto kits. And, um, you know, I think I even bought the Tamashii Nation's, uh, Ultraman figure. So, anything that sort of brings more good stuff from Japan over here and gets us uh, more toys, I'm generally in favor of. Whether or not this, uh, you know, gives it a shorter lifespan or a longer one, tough to say. I would veer on the side of, you know, it's, it's probably good for the longevity of the brand. And with that, folks, it's time to say... Pizza out.